Let's see. We're going to get the call here. We're getting the right call. That's all that matters. After review, good goal. Good goal. After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal. What is up, Rangers and overall hockey fans? Thank you all so much for coming back for another live stream. This is episode 28, I believe, of Rangers Review. Myself, uh, you guys know me either as just normally Wardy or Wardy NYM from my baseball channel as well. And we also have Steven, Statboy Steven. Check him out on Twitter. Check us both out on Twitter if you guys have Twitter in the description down below. But big episode today, plenty to discuss. Uh, we were kind of waiting to see if anything was going to happen. We believe that an Igor Shostorkin extension was going to happen pretty uh, new, new deal, I should say, was going to happen pretty close right after when we talked literally a week ago. But now we have things a week later, just about because the Rangers love to do things on Mondays, which was yesterday. They extend him. So, uh, pardon me, resign him, I should say. So we're going to be breaking down everything there is to know about Igor. We'll also be taking a look at the lace with Jack Eichel because we just love talking about Jack Eichel every single episode, Stephen. And then we will be getting into Capo uh, Caco and how he has fared this offseason. And then we'll wrap things up with doing a Q&A for the last portion of today's segment. So before I go any further, I just want to say thank you all so much for everyone that's chiming in. Tyler, Johnny, Google account, Dave, a great uh, subscriber and friend of mine. How are you, Dave? Uh, Michael, Brody, how are you as well? NYR Mike, uh, going down the list. Thank you all so much, everyone chiming in. And if you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, if you're watching this live and not on replay and not through wherever you get your podcast, we will be taking questions towards the end of the show. So hold on to them. But of course, smash that like and subscribe on as we chime in. But Steven, before I go any further, how are you doing today? And how are you feeling going into this week regarding our New York, our New York Rangers? Um, feeling pretty good. Um, my body has, has recovered from uh, my fall two weeks ago. Um, so, yeah, it's been a crazy, uh, crazy couple of days for me personally. I'm still in the process of unpacking some stuff and new setup again. Uh, but this is close to my final setup for the at least the next year. Um, I just need to uh, need to figure out, you know, the final pieces. But um, you can see an empty spot there behind me where the sticks are. Uh, there's going to be a little cabinet there with some Rangers memorabilia. So, but other than that, uh, works good. Uh, life in Dublin is good. Um, I'm going to my first Gaelic football game on Saturday. Nice. Uh, we were able to get tickets, which was shocking because there was an entire lottery system. And but uh, one of my friends knows some season ticket holders, so yeah, going to my first ever Gaelic football game on Saturday. Um, so if there's any Irish fans listening in, now you know where I'll be on Saturday. Um, yeah. yeah, other than that, uh, an extension, of course, uh, there was some Kako news on his off season. Um, and I started my prospect interview series for 2021-22 with awesome. the first release today, Evan Vierling. Perfect. So yeah, we'll definitely add, add that to the list of uh, topics to discuss as well. 
I want to talk after this off air more about that too. But all right, let's just dive right in, folks. So again, thank you all so much, everyone being here. If you're watching this live and not on replay or wherever you get your podcast, but no less, the Rangers yesterday did finally give a new contract to Igor Shosturkin. I think you you and I can both agree this was a phenomenal deal. You get him on a four year deal at around a four point six six AAV. Looks like the first year for Igor is going to be right around three million. Then I'll be jumping up to six. Then the third year, I believe, is right around seven. And then his fourth year and, assumably, his walk year, not thinking that he's going to actually leave. But before he hits for agency, he will then be making just under seven mil. I believe around 6.67 or seven mil. Um, so, overall, I really like this deal. And it was historic because I believe, according to Frank Cerevelli, at least, uh, Igor is either the first or second goaltender in NHL history to have this high, uh, this big of a contract in his first contract outside of his ELC. So, Stephen, what was your initial reaction to this deal? Are you happy about it? Do you think this was a smart move for the Rangers? And what do you expect uh, the implications of it are going to have on this club going forward? Yeah, well, first of all, the AV is 5.66 million. Yeah, yeah that's why I said, correct? Uh, you said 4.66, but it's... Oh, my fault. I meant to say 5.66. That's all right. That's all right. Um, and yeah, the Frank Cervelli tweet was interesting because, yes, technically he is correct, but I don't really care that much about about Chesterokin being the first one to make this much money on a second contract as a goalie because there's something called inflation. Um, his cap hit is 6.93% of the total cap. Yeah. And if you compare that to Henrik Lundqvist's second contract in 2007, uh, he made 4.25 million, which is less than Shostorkin will make on his on his new deal. But at the time, the salary cap was a lot lower, so that was 8.45 percent compared was to a big deal at the time for Shostorkin. So this, the Frank Valley tweet is interesting, but you have to look at it in context. Um, cap hit inflation is a big thing, especially if you if you look at where we started in 2005. I think the salary cap at the time about 40 or 50 million and now it's 81.5 so it'll be flat for the next couple of years but still when you compare today's contracts to to the ones back then Sidney Crosby on a second deal got 8.7 million which doesn't sound like much in today's NHL but in 2000 what was it 2008 when he signed it I think it was close to 15 percent of the cap it was around 14 or 15 percent I think um yeah. Well, maybe I'm glad you brought in the context, though. I just want to add that because I never looked at the Cervelli, you know, being the one to explain that in a negative light. You know, it, I know maybe your initial reaction, if you haven't been following along with Igor in the NHL, is, oh, you know, he's getting paid a lot of money, you know, the most in NHL history after ELC. But again, context is key. It's not like Igor is a young, he's proven himself at every single level at this point in his young career now at the age of 25. So, really strong deal. Yeah. Four more years which will lead him right until around the age of 29 or so so my question to you is because we talked about this in our previous episode what do you like so much about this deal and do you think that there's at the way that i feel where there's strong potential for igor to then sign that lundquist s contract once this deal is done for a say seven eight years whatever they feel is most comfortable yeah so um first of all the quick correction i looked up the crosby contract now 17.3 percent of the cap yeah, that's when he, crazy. When he signed in 2008. Um, so it was it was just a different a different time back then. And Longquist signed his in 2007. Look, yeah, and that's what you have to do. You have to look at it in context. Um, I think the Shakespeare deal is good for both parties. It's a little bit of a risk for the Rangers, but 
for years as a fan base, we've complained about always giving bridge deals to players that shouldn't get bridge deals. We've seen it in the past. We've seen it with Derek Stepan. We've seen it with Chris Kreider. We've seen it with Kevin Hayes. And we're seeing it now with Pavel Buchnevich. If Pavel Buchnevich gets a four or five year deal in 2019, we're not having this, this frustration of him being traded for spare parts. If Chris Kreider gets a long-term deal after his first contract expires, we're not looking at a seven-year extension that takes him into his mid-30s that was signed last year. So the Rangers need to figure out when, when to bridge a player and when to commit long-term. And a team that's been really good at that in the past is the Nashville Predators, especially on defense. The reason they were able to get Roman Yossi for such a low cap hit for almost a decade was because they committed immediately eight years and it was it was it was the right call uh the rangers tried to do a similar thing with brady shea of course brady shea is not on the same level as roman yossi but it was a long-term extension straight after an entry-level contract and you could see why they were doing it they were hoping that he would develop into a player that would exceed his his cap hit in performance uh, didn't really work out for the Rangers, but they still got a first round pick for it, so it's not. It, it didn't really harm us in the end. Um, but now you see Philip Hedl getting a two-year bridge deal, uh, Shestjorkin getting a four-year deal, which is good for Shestjorkin because he will get his big payday at age 29, and the Rangers will get him relatively cheap for the next four years. Um, and at age 29, you're looking at a seven or eight year deal, which would take him to 36 or uh, 37 years old after his next contract. Um, so you're not looking at a situation where you have to commit to a goalie un until he's almost 40. If the Rangers would have given him a six year deal, it takes him to 31. And now with an eight year deal, all of a sudden you're looking at a goalie being signed until he's 39. It's it's a it's a little bit more risky that way. So I like it for the Rangers. I really like it for Shostjorkin because, despite what we all know he can do and what we hope he can become, uh, it is a bit of a gamble for the Rangers. But I think it's a gamble that could pay off. Uh, he's played I think 47 games in the NHL so far, but there's of course an entire career predating that. And yes, I know people will say it's not the NHL, but those games are still indicative of what of what a player can do. When uh, when teams scout players for the draft uh, or even after the draft, they look at progression and progression comes in many in, in many forms. And the Shostakovich progression in the KHL, the second best league in the world at the time, was great. Same with Sorokin. Sorokin got a two million dollar contract without even playing a single game in the NHL. Nobody ever nobody ever brings that up. Yeah, that's a good you point. Don't, you don't want to be the team that pays for what players have already done. We've been there in the past. We've been there with Dan Girardi and Mark Stahl, most notably, where you pay for past performances. What you want to do is you want to pay for what's coming up. Um, right. Shostakovich getting 5.66 million on average for the next four years. It's a good deal for him. It's a bit risky for the Rangers, but if he develops the way we expect him to, it's going to be a really good good deal in in, in maybe even a year. If 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 Shestorkin is top ten in Vezina voting for for five point six six for six point nine percent of the cap, that's good value. 
And I think what's also important to take into consideration with his contract and the structure from what I've seen is that normally when we've seen either not, this isn't a bridge deal, but shorter term deals that we've seen with more coveted RFAs, especially when you think of forwards in recent years, they have had their contracts backloaded tremendously. So by time it is their walk year, their first year as a free agent, they're going to at least begin at the bare minimum, hopefully what they made in their final year of their recent contract. But what's interesting about Igor's structure here is that he isn't getting the most in his final year. He's gained it in year three of four of the deal. So I think that's also appealing to the Rangers side of things as well when it comes to the assumption that these next four years go great for him and the Rangers, and they want to have a long-term commitment going into his mid to late 30s then, that hopefully the AEV won't be, even if it's saving you a couple you know, hundred grand, that can be significant for this Rangers team that's only going to continue to build around their core and obviously be going after some bigger names and years going forward and for agency. So I really like the structure for him. I love it that they were able to get him below six mil AAV, mainly because of his first year being around a three mil. And then you had that double jump in his year two. But overall, is there any other things that you'd like to expand on this contract and that on right? Because I think that was another little thing that I noticed personally that was rather appealing. Um, yeah, there's a 10-team no-trade clause in uh, the final two years. Yes. Um, look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna complain about a player getting a 10-team no-trade clause. No, not at uh, all. What bothers me is when a player gets a full no-trade clause for their entire duration of the contract. Yeah. When you look at what the Rangers are doing, I think the only player that has a long-term deal with a no-move full no-trade clause for the entire duration is Panarin. Zabanejas only signed for one more year, so I don't count him. But if you look at Kreider and Truba, I think Kreider has a 15-team no-trade list in his final three years. Truba has a 12-team no-trade list in his final two years. So even if you want to trade them, once they once they get to 2024, you can trade Kreider and Truba without needing their consent. You. You, so this, this, is, this is basically how it works. Some teams ask for a no-trade list in the offseason. Some teams ask for it the moment they start negotiating. And some teams ask for it the moment a trade is going down. When Gabrick was traded to the Columbus Blue Jackets, they asked him to wait on the day of the trade. And that's when the deal got done. If the Rangers ask Chris Kreider for his 12-team or for his 15-team no-trade clause, it still gives you half teams in the league to trade him to. It might it, it might limit you a little bit, but it's not impossible. So when we look at these no-trade clauses, it's not always as bad as we think it is. The full no-trade clause that's that's always going to hold you back. Uh, you need a player to waive, but with Truba with max 12 teams, Kreider max 15 teams. If you want to if you want to trade them because you want to move on from them uh, and generate some cap space, you can do it without needing their, their, their say so. Yeah. You know, and that's a great point as well. And I think overall now, when you look at the Rangers and their outlook for the remainder of the year, when it comes to signing players, they only have one left now in which that he's still due for a contract. And I'm not sure exactly what the future is yeah. going to hold for him. That being a legal high. I'm not sure Hayek is going to sign with the Rangers because... Yeah, I don't know. It's very, you know, at this point, I, I honestly don't know. I'm fine either way. I think you and I can both agree there. I, I have nothing against Libor Hayek. Uh, I met him a few times. Great kid. Um, always friendly. But I brought this up in the past. Um, when the Rangers season was... Uh, when, when the when 
the NHL season. Uh, I think was it September or October with last year's Stanley final? It was September, I think. Uh, Libor Hayek was playing in the Czech Republic, and he played for um, Cometa Bruno, his hometown team, and he couldn't even make the lineup for that team. That was alarming. Yeah, I that remember was, when that happened. That's very alarming, and and I just don't think Libor Hayek's future is in the NHL. And the Rangers, if they give him a qualifying offer, they can retain his rights for another four years. So it'll be a similar situation with Niklas Jensen or uh, Carl Klingberg, what the Rangers went through. Um, if they decide to move on from him, he can go to Europe and he can hopefully develop a few years and then maybe come back. We've seen it before with players who go to Europe, develop a little bit more, and then come back at age 25, 26 and actually actually get a, a decent role on an NHL team. I you just don't that actually just reminded me of, and um, not that this is defenseman related, but Dominic Kubelik is a great example. Originally drafted by the LA Canes, uh, was yep. not finding himself going anywhere in the NHL in his young career, went off. Um, I'm trying to believe, was he playing in the Swiss League? Uh, shoot, I'm, try, I'm trying to remember. I think so. Let, let me look it up for you. Okay, but no less, Kubelik, great example, went to Europe, Spent multiple years there, came back to the States in his mid-20s, signed with the Blackhawks, and then the rest is history. So, yeah, we see that with numerous players. It doesn't just go for forwards. It goes for defensemen as well, goaltenders, you name it, it happens. And, yeah, again, uh, to what you've attested to, I have nothing against Libor Hayek either, but the analytics don't lie. He was uh, by really abysmal uh, this past year and the opportunities he's been given. And throughout his young career, he really hasn't showed up much at all since his handful of games two seasons ago when he made his NHL debut. And then, of course, he had his significant injury, which you have to wonder how much has that played into things at this point? Maybe that's a question that could be asked. Um, but no less, the Rangers only have one more player that is due for a contract for this current roster. The rest, you're looking at extension time, really. And that is by far starting with Adam Fox. You know, when are the Rangers going to pick up those discussions? You'd have to think it's going to happen sooner than later. Yeah, if you look at the, um, the the players that are free agents next summer, um, you have uh, unrestricted free agents, Kevin Rooney, Anthony Bitetto. Those two I'm not too worried about. I think Rooney, despite being a valuable player, can be replaced by Morgan Barron in the future or maybe Justin Richards. So I, I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be shocked if they give him a one year extension, but I also wouldn't I also wouldn't be surprised if they let him go next year. Then you have Ryan Stroh and Mika Zibanejad, unrestricted free agents. Um, and then restricted, you have Kapo Kako, Vitaly Kravtsov, Adam Fox. Adam Fox will be arbitration eligible. Kako and Kravtsov won't be. So that might drive the price down for those two kids, unless they have a an Adam Fox-type season. Uh, unless Kako puts up a season where he's like top top five in Selkie voting or whatever. Yeah, I don't think Kako and Kravtsov are going to demand a lot of money on their second deals, which is good for the Rangers. And the last one, uh, Julien Gauthier, of course, yeah, uh, is on a one-year deal now. He'll be a restricted free agent. And then Sammy Blay, who's arbitration eligible. I don't know what they want to do with him. Um, so yeah, there are some decisions to be made there. And of course, uh, Georgiev. So, so Georgiev. Jurgen's on the books now for 2.4 million. Um, I think they're going to get rid of him in the next 12 months. I don't see them committing to an extension with Jurgen. 
You know, this was, I'm glad you brought up your game because I was just on um, another podcast, a, a smaller hockey podcast yesterday, and I'll try putting the link down below as long as I remember by time this uh, stream has concluded through YouTube, at least that that doesn't go for, of course, wherever you find your podcast here. But I was asked about your and like my personal stance on if he was part of a deal and it's going into Jack Eichel. And we're not going to talk about the whole Eichel situation right now yet, but I'm just saying I would not be against it whatsoever. I think Yorgiev, between what has happened with him, everything over this past year, um, even with the TDA situation, even with him not even being in the wrong from what we believe, no less, there's been a lot of ups and downs with Georgie over this past year. The performance hasn't been there like it was in his previous year and a half with the Rangers. So, And he's a guy that's been rumored for easily, not just this past season, but the season before that, if he would potentially be dealt. And Jeff Gorin, you know, stood his ground and did not let it happen. If, unless it was the right price for him. But the Rangers, you have to look at it. They have some young, promising goaltenders that are going to be in the league sooner than later. Tyler Wall, I think we can agree, is probably the most notable. On uh, if want... I, I don't know. The, the, one, the one I'm most excited about is Dylan Garon, to be honest. Garon, really? You think that he would have a bigger impact sooner than Wall, potentially? Tyler Wall is, is a good goalie prospect. With Huska and Wall, you have guys that can – there can be a backup in the NHL in, in about two years. Okay. Uh, Garand is younger. He's going to need a little bit more to get there. But I think Garand has starting goalie potential in the NHL. Okay. I'm, I'm talking more so on what can be, uh, if you will, quicker replacements for Yuryev over the next calendar uh, year. Yeah, if you're talking about quick replacements, we still have Keith Kincaid on the contract for another year. Yes. If it, if, if it comes down to choosing between Georgiev and Kincaid as a backup because we have no one better, I don't see them committing to Georgiev. I see them just giving Kincaid an extension for one year until Haska or Wall was ready. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, we, we, have, we have quite a few goalie prospects in the system now. There's yeah. still all of Lind Lindbaum, who they have to make a decision on next year, whether they sign him or not. Uh, Dylan Garand also next year his rights expire. Uh, Hugo Olas who just went uh, committed to college, so we have four more years for him. And then uh, Talon Boyko who's in the WHL. Uh, 2023 is uh, when his NHL rights expire. And then of course the aforementioned Haska and Wall in the in the AHL with Hartford. Um, I think what really hurt our goalie depth, our goalie development this past year was that the Rangers didn't have an ECHL affiliate. Uh, as yeah, you, that's, a, that's a great point. Glad as you know. might remember, the main Mariners opted out of the ECHL season. Yes. So the Rangers didn't have an option. And this goes beyond their goalies. If you look at a, a kid like Evan Veerling, he, he, didn't get a, he didn't get a call from the Rangers to join the Wolfpack team like Will Cooley did and Matthew Robertson and uh, Braden Schneider, Dylan Garand. But if we had an ECHL team, I think we would have seen some of our prospects play in the ECHL, like Hunter Skinner did. Uh, Skinner did it on his own, of course. Uh, he, re he was approached by the Utah Grizzlies. Is it the Utah Grizzlies? I'm starting to mix up teams. Yeah, sorry, the Memphis Grizzlies are in the NBA, the Utah Grizzlies are in hockey. <laughs> the Utah Grizzlies, sorry. Um, he played for the Utah Grizzlies in the ECHL, did, did really well with them, won a gold medal with uh, uh, Team USA to World Juniors, and then joined the, the Hartford Wolfpack near the end of the season. I think he played around 10 games, had a goal. Um, but that kid paved his own way because he was in the same situation as 
uh, as Evan Veerling, the OHL didn't have a season. So they had to do something. And if the Rangers had an ECHL affiliate, they could have had Tyler Wall or Adam Huska play some meaningful games in the ECHL. Because with Georgiev in New York, Kincaid spent some time in uh, in Hartford. And if you have Kincaid in net, then your your chances for the other two goalies, who are your young, hopefully future players in net, their chances were diminished because Kincaid spent some time in the AHL as well. Um, but of course, now we moved on from the main Mariners, and now the Jacksonville Icemen are now our ECHL affiliate. Yeah, what a logo they have. <laughs> uh, it's an amazing logo, but I always laugh. I always chuckle a little bit that a team in Florida is called the Iceman. <laughs> yeah, there's there's definitely um, some head scratching going on there. They Although, wouldn't be the first team, however, to be a either you know ECHL or AHL team that its name yeah. doesn't necessarily coincide with where they're residing. Like the Calgary Flames. <laughs> exactly. So or or. Uh, I was actually going over this. Was it with you? We were talking about teams relocating and not changing their name, making it look foolish. Yeah. The LA Lakers were uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in yeah. Minnesota, where yeah. the Great Lakes are, and they moved to LA and they remained the Lakers, but there's no lakes in LA. So the exactly. name the Lakers just feels so natural in LA. Like if you now, even try to question it. Yeah. yeah. Now, after like three, four decades, it does, but at the time, it didn't make any sense. LA um, is the lake hub of the country. What are you talking about, Stephen? Um, but yeah, the, there's also the uh, Orlando Solar Bears in the ECHL. Yes. <laughs> there are some good names in the ECHL, to be honest, and some really cool logos. Yeah, no, they, they very interesting. I love that you can be a little bit more creative, especially when you're not the top team, if you will. They they let that go to you know the smaller organizations, and if something gets if it's catchy with the fans, especially they they love it. Everyone I'm, runs. With I'm still upset we we lost the Greenville Swamp Rabbits. Yes, yes. Anyway, <laughs> moving okay. on. Go, going now to uh, pivoting now from Igor. So, again, everyone that's chiming in the live stream, thank you so much for being here. For Rangers Review, episode 28, myself, Tyler, Ward, Wardy, as many people like to call me, and, of course, Stat Boy Steven. Steven, you guys know the drill by now. And if you guys are listening to this live or on replay, wherever you get your podcast, thank you all for being here. We really appreciate it. But let's pivot now into a discussion that I'm going to let you run away with because this is a guy that you know far too well, and I'm really curious to hear your stance on because there has been – uh, some reporting that has come out about Capo Caco and how his offseason approach has been to this point. So let me hear all that we should know currently for the viewers yeah. that don't know out there about Capo Caco and how he has been going about his current offseason. Yeah, Capo Caco spent an offseason in Finland, as you know you would expect. Um, I haven't seen any confirmation that Georgiev is there again, but as far as I know, Georgiev spends his offseasons in Turku as well um, because he's a Finnish resident. Uh, having played there for TPS several years before moving to the NHL. Yep. Uh, but Kako worked on his offseason um, with Marco Rautala, who is a renowned uh, coach in Finland, uh, together with his dad. Um, uh, trained with, uh, among others, Mikko, uh, Mikko Rantanen. I'm going all Pierre Maguire here. Uh, you know, people, people will either hate it or love it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, him and Rantanen uh, spent the offseason together. Uh, so, and if you look at Capo Caco now, um, he just looks like a different, a different person. 
like his his face. There's so much more meat on him, and and got a I'm lot really, of meat on Kako. A lot of meat on Kako. That's a good thing. I, I'm really excited to see what he's going to do this upcoming season. We saw the amazing jump from year one to year two, uh, where his defense was stellar. Now he just needs to add the offense to become almost a Mark Stone type. That that's 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 the dream. If he turns into Mark Stone, I'm happy. Um, but he was very happy to be back in Finland, of course. Uh, the, the COVID-shortened season only lasted five months, but still being away from your family that long, not being able to fly home, your family not being able to fly to New York to be with you, I think that complicated the season a little bit for Kako. Remember, when the season started, he was only 19 years old. He turned 20 in February. Uh, so he was happy to be back with his family, uh, but he spent all the off-season uh, training. And they also spent, he and Rantanen also spent uh, time with the Finnish national team. Uh, they had a training camp, including a lot of NHL players, where they did some drills. Uh, they had some, some on-the-ice practice. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with what I've seen from Kako this off-season. Uh, unfortunately, the coverage isn't really there in North America for this, which I think is a missed opportunity. Because um, especially with Kako being the second overall pick, you want to see how he's doing in the offseason. But I do uh, I do as much as I can to share that stuff on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, his offseason has been has been really exciting to follow. Um, and they have this this thing. I, I don't know if there's any Finnish li- uh, people listening, but in Turku you have these steps, they're pretty famous, where uh, where athletes like run up and down the steps and it's brutal. Um, and there's a picture of Ranton and Kako like running up the steps and you can see on their faces that, you know, they hate it and they love it at the same time. Oh yeah, that's uh, a common workout. I've done that myself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, oh my God, your knees are just shot. It, yeah. It, just, uh, it, it burns like all hell, but it's worth it in the end. But. I'm gonna see. I'm gonna see if I can find the um, the name uh, in the next couple of minutes. But um, yeah, look, I'm I'm really happy with what I'm seeing from Kako. Um, I hope um, I hope he can continue his uh, development, playing under Galang, the new coach, a coach that in the past worked with Huberdo, Barkov, Trocek, who at the time were about Kako's age. Um, yeah, I'm really excited. And I, and I think it doesn't just go with the likes of Kako. You can even talk about a guy that, you know, maybe he's not as defensively responsible, but even um, uh, Alex Tuck, for instance, during his time in Vegas. You know, Alex Tuck, big body forward, can be defensively responsible, of course, has a strong shot, decent playmaking ability. Um, it's it's really interesting when you look at what Gerard Gallant has coached throughout his career, especially most notably in Florida, and then most recently in Vegas, and players that have similar attributes to what Kako is and what us Ranger and hockey fans hope he will be in the coming years, because there's no doubting that his two-way ability is very much there. As we've said plenty of times, the analytics will show that he was easily one of the best uh, two-way forwards in all of hockey last year from a winner perspective. And now you have that down. That's fantastic. When you have that natural ability, which is something that Kako has always had, it's a common trait with Finnish players as well. And now you're bringing that over where you can start to heavily emphasis on 
taking advantage of yourself being a takeaway machine like a Mark Stone and actually being more um, more better executing, I should say, when it comes to your offensive abilities. Because naturally, when you're strong on defense, when you're really good when it comes to your takeaway giveaway ratio, you're going to have offensive rushes in your favor. And one thing that we've just noticed with Kako in his first two years and last year when he had plenty of takeaways is that he has struggled to execute. Maybe he's feeling he's still too much of a playmaker right now. He's not trusting his shot enough. Those are things that are gradually going to continue to get better for him over time. And the confidence is oozing out of him that we saw in parts of last year. And I fully expect him to go into the season and really to show his more so of his full potential. I don't expect Kako to be a point per game. I'm not expecting that at all. But I do think we're going to see a Kapo Kako that will have a career year point-wise and that is going to continue to have this gradual buildup. Because, again, yeah. when you have that defensive aspect of your game locked down the way that he does – that you know the sky is there for you to you can easily yeah. soar with your offensive production once you can maybe not overthink think um, things a little bit too much make sure you're getting opportunities in your top six and all special teams that will continue to come for him after uh, Pavel Buchnevich's departure especially so like you I'm very excited I think that this is only the beginning for Capo Caco and I hope that other Ranger fans that maybe see otherwise right now are gonna continue to grab oh, on this so, so be, before we move on uh, you mentioned Alex Tuck. I still hold out hope, foolish or not, but I still hold out hope that under Gerard Gallant, Julian Gauthier can turn into that type of player. Yeah, very, very similar styles as well. They got the build. They have and, the shot. You know, yeah, and, I agree you know, with you. Our, our wings are basically set. On the left, you have Panera, Lafreniere, Kreider. On the right, you have Kako, Kravtsov, <clears throat> probably Goudreau. But you're only one injury away from Gauthier getting serious serious uh opportunities in, in in the top nine yep and i'm looking forward to what he can do under a coach that that might actually give him a shot instead of holding him back a coach that has thrived with players of a similar skill set you know that that's huge and, and we can go we can go on and on and on and i don't want to go too much in comparisons because you tend to uh you tend to get tunnel vision but yes if you look well, if you look at Huberto and Barkov, that's our Kako and Lafreniere. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. If you look at Trocek, that's our Hedl. Yeah. Um, if you look at uh, Tuck, in my opinion, that's potentially our Julian Gauthier. Uh, Aaron Ekblad, if, if Nils Lundqvist can be Aaron Ekblad light in his rookie season, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that as a win. Um, I don't know where this is going to lead, but I'm just excited to see this team under a new coaching staff with everything they've learned. And this is not necessarily a jab at David Quinn, although I've been very critical of him in the past, but sometimes a coaching change is just that. We've seen it when we went from Tortorella to Alan Vigneault, when you go from a really strict coach to a coach that's more hands-off, to a coach that doesn't really micromanage, you sometimes see players thrive. If you look at the 2013-14 season, the first year under Elen Vigneault, all of a sudden you have Chris Kreider, Matt Zuccarello, just flourish. And I know in part that's also because they were a year older and they had a little bit more experience, but the difference between the end of the 2013 season and the start of the 2013-14 season, to me, with some players, was night and day. Yeah. No, and that's a, that's a great point as well. And I think what's going to be very interesting for us Ranger fans going into this year to really appreciate is 
just how different this feel is now going to be going from David Quinn these past couple of years and, you know, having little expectations, especially the first couple of years of this rebuild, just seeing how things were going to ride. Now you get, this is in my mind, Elaine Vigneault 2.0, not in the sense of them when it comes to their actual coaching style, but the sense of actually having an established veteran coach that has had deep runs and playoffs before and that knows what it takes to win. Now, A.V., I did not like him outside of his first year with the Rangers. Uh, to be quite honest, I felt it was a continuous downfall after year one when the Rangers went all the way to the Cup with how he approached the team and lacked development skills for our young players. But Gallant, the beauty aspect about him is, again, he is known for his young development, uh, developing young players, I should say, and still knows what it takes to win. He has a great track record. And I've, it's going to be curious if you and I ever find out if – he even finds out, I should say, more than anyone else because I've heard him in his uh, pressers why he was, you know, part of ways with Florida and why he part of ways with Vegas. When you look at their current roster at the time, there wasn't anything drastic to indicate being fired at that point in, in his career. So it's going to be really interesting to see what he brings to this club and if those same issues that maybe he had with Vegas or Florida, if at all, arise again. But no less, it's going to be a comfortable feeling actually having someone of Gallant's caliber that can just give you a breath of fresh air on a, on a coach that is competent more often than not in both his decision-making and his approach to a club that has deep playoff aspirations during this season. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting uh, – it's going to be an interesting change. And, and, yeah, we may have sacrificed some, some offense and some skill by trading Wojnevich. But if Kako, Lafreniere, and Kraftsoff can all improve, they can pick up that difference. They absolutely can. And I think Kako is going to be the main guy to look at in that situation. If Kako finds himself on the top line, is he going to be part of what has always been the KZB? But is it going to be Kako there? If you look at analytically with Buchnevich, and again, I'm still crushed that Buchnevich is with the Blues. Don't get me wrong. Um, I understand. I am, I'm understanding it more. But no less, given the return, I don't think anyone can agree it was a great move for what you were given. It wasn't a it wasn't a negative move to part ways with Booch. I think that made sense for the Rangers and what their current uh, viewpoint was going forward. The deal is a different discussion, however. But Buchnevich, who was really strong outside of Kako, Booch was the Rangers' best forward two way wise. That really was noticeable. He's continued to develop throughout his career. Kako has the defense down. He knows what it takes. He can help you out. On, uh, not that you really will need him there, but he can help you PK if you must. And he now it's just a matter of him. Can he be coherent with the rest of the top line or the top six and being a solid offensive contributor now and going forward? And there's all reasons to believe he can be exactly that with what his direction has been at this point uh, in his career. Yeah. Uh, I found a picture of Rantanen, uh, by the way. I'm, I'll send it to you in a DM <laughs> to you. To you okay, we'll do. <laughs> but okay with that being said folks to everyone chiming in the live stream or wherever you get your podcast that is going to conclude the discussion here about capo caco and now we're going to get into something that i know steven just absolutely loves to discuss we all do and that is jack eichel as he shakes his head do right now. To, do we have to go through this again we do we do have to steven so just buckle up you know bite your tongue we're going to go through this together okay <laughs> I, i'm not surprised that here we are another week another jack eichel discussion okay um, whether, whether this is a discussion that's going to be positive or negative will be yet to be seen, but no less latest on Jack Eichel. And this all comes from uh, Rick Carpinell. If you guys don't know, Carp has been covering the Rangers for quite some time now through the athletic uh, threw himself out with a tweet yesterday before he went on vacation 
rightfully so, given the responses that he's probably seen on Twitter at this point, and he's saying that do not be surprised to see Mika's Banjad be, you know, a part of a deal that would land the Rangers Jack Eichel. So, Stephen, I want your initial reaction to this because I have oodles amount of things I have to say on the matter. So let me hear what all that you have to give. So Rick Carpinello says that Zibanejad is going to be included in the Eichel trade, right? Yeah. All right. Um, well, Rick Carpinello also said we were going to trade for Giordano, and he also said we were going to reacquire Colin Blackwell. Um, so I don't know. Why would Mika Zibanejad, who has a full no-move clause and full no-trade clause, wave to go to Buffalo in a contract year? He's a free agent next year. He has a better chance at putting up 40 goals in New York than he has putting up 50 points in Buffalo. So why would he harm himself, harm his chances of getting a big payday by waiving his no-move clause to go to Buffalo? It makes no sense to me. Um, I still think the Rangers are interested in Jack Eichel. I don't think the Rangers are interested in giving up what Kevin Adams wants for Jack Eichel. And at this point, I just think reporters are throwing stuff against the wall just to see what sticks. I and don't this see- goes in hand with what you've talked about before with Larry Brooks, as we've talked about. Is this a report that is um, worth reporting in the sense of, is this from a credible source that makes you have the belief that you currently have? Or is this more opinion-based to really kind of stir the pot, if you will, for a guy yeah. like Rick Carpinell, and this is nothing personal against Rick, but yeah. there, there's a reason why I don't follow the guy on Twitter, and I haven't for a year now. And if when that's not to, saying anything, I don't know what is. So when it comes to Rick Carpinello and Vince Marcogliano and Larry Brooks and Molly Walker, I follow them in case there's Rangers news. I don't follow them to see them break the news. You know, they just report on whatever they are given by the organization. If you want trade rumors, if you want to know, if you want to be the first person to know where a player is going to sign, you follow Frank Saravelli, uh, Elliot Friedman, Bob McKenzie, um, um, Darren Drager, Pierre Lebrun. Those are the guys you follow for that kind of content. People don't follow me on Twitter to hear me break any trades because I don't have that kind of information and I don't pretend to. People probably follow me on Twitter because I give them updates on prospects. Um, I do my prospect interviews and sometimes I have a good discussion. That's probably why people follow me. I'll stick with that. I'm not going to jeopardize that by, by guessing. And that's what this feels like. It feels like people are just guessing. We've heard Larry Brooks for a whole year how the Rangers should trade for Josh Anderson. Um, Look, whatever you want to do, follow whoever you want to follow. But if I could give people some piece of advice, know why you follow a specific person. Agreed. And I think that's, I think that's the most important part. You know, you, for me personally, I have people for every flip of the coin, you know, I have people that I focus on 
for what I believe are my credible sources that I trust. I follow people for more opinion content that I'm excited to read their articles, things of that nature, of course, and even including yourself as well. Just uh, when it comes to, you know, you uh, discussing what other prospects and on other things. So it all varies. And before I go any further and share my current stance on the ICO situation or what has been uh, not reported, but at least tweeted about, tweet out by uh rick carpinello for the athletic i want to say thank you all so much to everyone that's currently in the stream live and shout out to tyler for the two dollar donation tyler says that if the uh if zabanjad wants nine plus million he's 100 percent gone meaning that you know he's going to be uh um pardon me i believe 100 percent gone uh that he's going to be traded i get that but i don't see zabanjad being traded to buffalo for several reasons oh i Zibanejad, do too and let's start Zabanja is not going to wave. I just explained that. But why would Buffalo want to acquire a 29-year-old center with one year left on his bingo. deal? Bingo, bingo, bingo. Okay, so let's get into Eichel. I mean, let's get into the situation more because I was asked about this as well. The only feasible chance where I believe that Zabanja could be dealt in a deal for Eichel, and this feels unbelievably slim. For the most part, I think it's a no-go. Yeah, it would have to be something of a three-way deal. That's the only thing that could possibly make sense for Zabanjad is going to a team that he's more comfortable going with, a team that could use Zabanjad that is on the cusp or is currently a playoff team. That's the only exception because Zabanjad, again, no move clause, contract here. Why in God tell would he want to go to Buffalo, even in a scenario where the Rangers went, went and completely turn on him and say we're aggressive, that, oh, we want to trade you, we want, you know, we want to burn this bridge as quick as we possibly can. I don't even think Zabanjad would be willing to go to Buffalo in that scenario. I really don't. I think so. for plenty of other teams, yes, he'd be willing, but not Buffalo. And in the contract year from the Sabres side of things for Kevin Adams, I know that Buffalo has not made the right moves for quite some time now, but are, you'd have to think that they are competent enough to not replace Jack Eichel to bring in a Zabanjad that's expiring with not a strong chance of being able to make sure you can keep him but it's not like Zabanjad is, is the Zabanjad that the Rangers trade for for Derek Broussard years ago. This is a guy that's getting into his late 20s now. Yeah. You know, it, none of it adds up for a Sabres team that, again, yeah. is in this retool slash rebuild. They are not a team that's contending this year, and they're not a team that will be contending next year. So it does not make any sense whatsoever. The only exception I will say, however, is potentially a three-team trade. And even that just feels so outlandish because the likelihood of that is just slim to none in my mind. Well, uh, we saw a three-team trade three years ago with Matt Duchesne. Yeah. Um, that trade was lopsided. Colorado Colorado won that trade hands down. Oh, Joe Joe Sackick had a field day with that. Absolutely. Uh, the, Nash, the Nashville Predators ended up with Kyle Turris, who I think they had to buy out. They did buy out, and they went to Edmonton. The Ottawa Senators ended up with Matt Duchesne. Uh, but they gave up a first-round pick that turned into a fourth overall. Um, and then they traded Matt Duchesne at the deadline because they were not a, a competitive team. They traded away Eric Carlson. They traded away Mark Stone. It was a mess. I don't know. What what three-way trade would make sense where you include Zibanejad in, in, in a scenario where you acquire Eichel? Would it be and what that's so hypothetical right now. That's the thing. And you need to make sure that you can get a team that can just take on his current cap hit. Because yeah. Zippy makes a decent amount of money right now, as it is, I believe, what is it, 5.3 mil? Uh, I think so, yeah. Okay. Look, Vegas makes sense for Zibanejad. Um, they're, they're a contending team. He could go there for a cup window. You know, he, he can be part of that cup window for one year. 
and then next year he can sign wherever he wants. He can, mm -hmm. he can come back to the Rangers. Maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe hell freezes over, maybe picks fly, and he signs for $2 million a year to come back to the Rangers and be part of our cup window again. But if you're looking at a team like Vegas, yeah, I can see that happening. It makes sense. You know, it would also be poetic because he scored the Rangers' first ever goal in Vegas. <laughs> but a three-way trade is so rare. Uh, same with an offer sheet. Uh, it's something that happens all the time on social media. It happens all the time in video games. But in real life, honestly, the last three-way trade before Matt Duchesne, I couldn't even tell you. The last successful offer sheet before Sebastian Ajo, like successful offer sheet, the last offer sheet in general was Shea Weber in 2013. The last successful offer sheet was Dustin Penner in 2007. So when people talk about, oh, we need to offer sheet Elias Pettersson, you're not going to get Elias Pettersson on an offer sheet. That that stuff hasn't happened in 14 years. And there's a reason why it hasn't. And it, it, as, as hopeful and as excited we like to get, it again, it's just unrealistic. And the Sebastian Aho, the Sebastian Aho situation is one of what is a perfect example. Carolina basically said, "Thank you for doing the negotiating for us. We'll match. We don't have to. We don't have to go to the table with Sebastian. Perfect. But teams aren't going to give up three first-round picks or two first-round picks, a second and a third, or worst-case scenario, four fourth-round picks, because you never know where you're going to be in four years. You know, the Ottawa Senators." were one minute away from making it to the Stanley Cup final in 20, what was it, 2017? That, well, that was the year that the Rangers lost to the Senators. Yeah, we, we beat Montreal, then we lost to, to Ottawa, yep. and Ottawa lost to Pittsburgh in game seven. They were one goal away from making it to the Stanley Cup final in 2017, right? Twenty eighteen they picked fourth overall. Twenty nineteen they had a fourth overall pick that went to Colorado. That's how quick your luck can turn around. Teams are not going to give up first round picks two, three, four years into the future. It's not it's not like other sports, especially basketball, because draft picks get thrown around like candy. It happens all the time. Um, hockey's just a different animal with that. And before we go further, though, I just want to say thank you, everyone, again for being here. And Tyler, yeah, and with you, another the big difference between hockey and other sports is that in hockey, after the top three, if you're lucky, after the top five, the draft is a crapshoot. Yep. So your top three or top five picks are so much more valuable. In the NFL, you can trade down from a third overall pick to a tenth overall pick and still get a player that's going to contribute for a decade. Yeah, well, of course, circumstances are completely different. NFL draft, you're usually getting guys that should hopefully impact your team right away. That's also because they completed college. They're 21, 22 yep. years old. These are kids that at the time of the draft are 17 years old. Mm -hmm. So once you get... Once you get past the top three in every draft year, it's a crapshoot. And that's why that's why teams are hesitant to give up these high draft picks and why they don't want to commit to giving up these first rounders two, three, four years into the future. Because there's other examples too. The San Jose Sharks made it to the Stanley Cup final that same year, 2017. Yep. And now they've been what? They've been cracked for two years. And they, they're going to stay that way. They, they need to commit to a full rebuild, and they have really bad contracts that they have to deal with. It took them two years to go from a Stanley Cup final to a complete shit show. 
where the Ottawa, the Ottawa Senators got a top five pick in the Eric Carlson trade because San Jose was so bad. And that became Tim Strutzla. Uh, no, that was the or, third. Or no, 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 no. That was Sanderson. Sanderson. Yeah. Sanderson. Or was it? Was it? I don't know. I don't know which of the two picks was actually San Jose's. It doesn't really matter in the end. But look, teams are not going to give up first-round picks in an offer sheet. Teams are not going to uh, find two trade partners to make a trade work. Uh, circling back to Eichel, um, I still think he's going to be traded out west. And I think it's going to be either Vegas or Minnesota. And if Minnesota is involved, it's going to be either a package, including kids like Matthew Boldy, Caden Addison, Marco Rossi, or they're going to go, or, or they're just going to give up on, on Kaprizov and, and cash in right now and trade Kaprizov rival. And before we go there, because I want to expand on that further on Minnesota in particular, uh, Tyler with another $2 donation here says, I think Colorado makes sense as a third team. Um, Colorado, they have the assets, obviously. They're a team in a win-now stage. I don't think it's too outlandish. I have to look at cap friendly, what they're looking like when it comes to their dollars right now, however, because um, they just signed Landis Gog to that massive extension. Um, so, I again, I a part of me just – I'll have to see it to believe it. Let me put it this way, if a three-team trade happened. Not saying it's impossible. It just really feels unlikely. Yeah. The same Colorado, way, Colorado is two point three million in cap space, right? Yeah, now. there's yeah, there's no shot. It just there'd have to be a lot more moving parts to be had there for sure. Especially with Zabajad being a rental. How appealing is that from Colorado side? Things outside of you know, obviously going all in this year. You know, and and it could it could potentially work with Colorado if you have players that have a big cap hit but are still both useful and uh on the block so to speak if you look at colorado there's rantanen landeskog mckinnon makar gerard samuel gerard all of them have a cap hit over five million they're not gonna they're not gonna get rid of those mm -hmm. and then the second group is guys like burakovsky kadri jt comfer eric johnson who wants these players the rangers don't want these players if you look at Vegas, you can at least make a case for Riley Smith being being the big part of a package. You can yeah. make a case for maybe Jonathan Marsh or so if they want to sweep. If you you know if you want to trade a big contract to absorb that Zabanjad cap hit, that kind of makes sense. Colorado doesn't have pieces that a they're willing to trade and B, hold any significant value, and C, have a decent cap hit to sort of balance the books. So. Yeah. So, yeah, there's always, there's going to be obstacles with every way to look at it and a potential three-team deal. But in a nutshell, going back to the original statement here from Rick Carpinello, I I would be flabbergasted, to be quite honest with you, if Mika is part of a deal to land Eichel. Because remember that Jack Eichel is in a spot right now. Shout out to Dave Kapowitz with a $3 super sticker. I really appreciate that, Dave. Everyone, don't know hype in the chat if you're watching this live on YouTube. Um, but Jack Eichel needs surgery, according to his agent. This is something that we all knew about. If he, The longer that he is prohibited from getting a surgery, the longer uh, he's going to be out potentially going into the season. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, if Eichel does get the surgery for his herniated disc and his neck, how is that going to impact his play after the fact? You know, is he, if Jack Eichel going to be the same player that he was prior to his injury? That's answers we don't have 
we, that's, those are things we simply don't have answers to right now. And you need to weigh those factors when it comes to making a deal. And that's why everything's going the way it is. And again, it's, it sucks. I feel like we're being a dead horse right now, but those are huge. Those are huge problems between the Eichel and Buffalo front that need to be resolved before I truly believe that we're going to see a trade happen. And I know that it's been hard to keep Eichel out of, you know, discussions for all of us Ranger fans for the most part, just because it seems like it's been Rangers or bust for a little bit now when it comes to if Eichel is going to be dealt with the assumption he's going to be dealt. This has been going on for easily the past six months to a year now, connecting the two for sure. When is it going to happen? We don't have answers to that. And again, you have to wonder what is his health going to be like? When can he get surgery? If he will get surgery, all those things go into a deal happening here. And because Manja just from the forefront does not make nearly enough of a logical sense for him to be part of a deal going the other way. And um, we've been saying this for a while. We kind of have a conversation, all this, all this debating and even Carpinello's tweet, it all rests on one thing before you can even discuss anything. Zibanejad has to waive his no trade law. And this is what I alluded to earlier. If you have a player that has a 12-team no trade or a 15-team no trade or a 10-team no trade like Shesturkin, yeah, you can work around it. But Zibanejad has a full no trade clause. Exactly. Can, it's Yeah, it's not an easy task. He can block a trade to any team. So... Why would Zabanejad want to waive his no trade clause? Because unlike Gabrick, who was unhappy in New York on the Tortorella, Zabanejad's happy. He's he's smiling every every game. You know, he's one of the big players on this team. He's not a player that's being pushed out of the top six like Kreider. Um, you know, he's still the top line center for this team. He's immensely popular with his fan base. Why would he give that up, especially in a career year? Why would he go to a team where he would, like I said, why would, why would he go to a team where he would struggle to put up 50 points when he can stay in New York, play with Lafreniere and Kraftsov or Panarin and Kako or Kreider and whoever and have a legitimate shot at another 40-goal season? And I think you also have to throw in the fact of why would the Rangers want to part ways with their top center right now, even with him being a rental, when there's no guarantee on if and when Eichel would be in the lineup. Like that, yeah. that's, that's a massive factor. If we're a team that's so emphasizing on we want to make sure we are a playoff team this year and hopefully have a deep run, mm -hmm. you're, you are going to be prohibited. Even in a scenario where you land Eichel, if you part ways with, uh, with a guy like Zabanjad more than likely because your center depth is hurt in the scenario where Eichel's not ready for the season start. Like those are those are obvious factors that I feel like people overlook as well. Like there's no guarantee when Eichel will even start the season right now. And that's not something the Rangers can gamble given their motto to go all in this year. Starting this yeah. year, I should say that. And if you if you trade away Zabanajan and you acquire Jack Eichel, <coughs> is the upgrade at center worth the additional assets you're giving up? Yeah, that's something you have to ask yourself for sure. You know? And again, Tyler with another $2 donation. Thank you, Bices. Hypothetically, Kadri would be gone, uh, uh, but uh, reflips. Okay. Yeah, so. no, I, I know Kadri would be gone, but is Kadri the type of player that would come back in that trade? The Sabres have no use for Kadri. The Rangers have no use for Kadri. The Unless only way Kadri would make sense for the Rangers is if they part away Ryan Strom separately. Yeah, yeah. If you make a separate trade for way Ryan Strom goes somewhere else, but. We're in August. 
Yep. What team in the history of the NHL has traded their, their first and second line center in the last six weeks leading up to the season? To then bring in two different first and two second players. line centers. So you would go, okay, so hypothetically, you would go from Zabanajan and Strom to Eichel and Kadri. I'll take Zabanajan and Strom. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Again, there's just there's if you ask me if it adds up at this point in time. I'll pick Eichel over Zabanajan. But if you ask me Eichel and Kadri or Zabanajan and Strom, it's no question. I'll I'll, st- I'll stick with Zabanajan and Strom and the assets that I don't have to give up. Look, Colorado doesn't make sense. Vegas might make sense. Uh the Rangers would only get Jack Eichel. The Sabres would get a pick and a prospect from the Rangers, and the rest would come from Vegas, like Nicholas Haig, Riley Smith, and a first, something like that. Or maybe Peyton Krebs, uh, Riley Smith, and a first. But uh, a three-way trade would be fun, though. I'm not going to... Gonna... It would be... It, everyone would be shocked to buy it. Everyone would be excited, of course. There'd be both emotions, both positive to both positive and negative. Um, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to my guns and say it isn't happening. Imagine Drury's first big move being a three-way trade where you acquire a top line center. It would it would be ballsy. I will say that much. It would definitely yeah. it would definitely get the back pages for sure. Um, okay, Steven. So now we reach this point in the episode 28 of Rangers Review. Just now, an hour in. So. For the next 15, uh, 15 to 20 minutes, we will be taking questions. So to everyone currently in the live stream, if you're listening to some replay or wherever you get your podcast, just stay tuned as you hear us answering these questions, of course. Um, so, yeah, guys, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns that you would like to ask or share with us, by all means, go for it. And we'll be answering as many as we can for the next 15 to 20 minutes before we end today's episode. And, again, thank you so much, everyone, that's been chiming in this entire time. We appreciate you. We love doing this. Love having Ranger discussions. It's always an exciting time in the offseason. Uh, you have to wonder what is next for this club, if anything, for that matter. Um, we are tired of discussing Eichel, though. Well, we very much are. We just want answers at this point, if anything, or nothing at all. Just not enough of this limbo in between at this point in the year. Okay, Matt asks, how excited are you guys for Laffy next season? I'm really excited for Laffy. Absolutely. I mean, you know... I think we saw we definitely saw enough of him in his rookie year, even after having a slow start to indicate that he's just getting started. He looks composed out there. He looks comfortable, infectious personality, silky mitts. Um, he's going to be guaranteed a top role on this club now and going forward. What can't yeah. you love about that? Yeah, let's also not forget that last season, yeah, there, there, there are some things that you can blame Dave Quinn for, but – it was also an NHL season without any preseason, without a training camp. Um, they had, like I think, a two-week training camp before the season started. But half the players weren't even there because they were still in quarantine coming over from Europe. Uh, it was a mess. The Lafreniere we saw at the end of the season, that's the Lafreniere we're going to see. I'm going to quickly, if you don't mind, I'll quickly look up what his production was in the final month or so sure and looking up last year and i'm getting jason lafreniere former <laughs> yes uh, the other ranger correct 
And he was also a Ranger, yeah. And wasn't he 13? Uh, I think 15. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it was 15 too. Yeah, short-lived. But, okay, so I'm going to answer another question while you're doing your homework there. Johnny asks, uh, why don't the Rangers trade a, a one or two of their uh, defensive prospects for a center prospect? Uh, my quick reply to that would be, it's it's definitely it's definitely possible. It's yeah. definitely something that is not outlandish at all. You look at Julian Gauthier and Joey Keane, prime example. Is that a route the Rangers want to go down again? With you know, they have a plethora of something, and they don't have enough of something else at the time. And getting Gauthier made sense for both clubs. Rangers for certain can do that again. Um, that's something that maybe will be more sneaky. That comes and arrives that maybe you know not enough people were expecting because of jack eichel and all these sweet stakes but yeah 100 percent could happen and now whether is that going to be a really coveted center uh prospect that is just on the verge of being nhl ready because again this is a rangers club that's trying to win now going forward they're not in the retool phase anymore and that would mean you have to cough up some of your better defensive prospects that are just on the verge of being in the nhl are the rangers willing to go there or are they willing to go deeper into their defensive prospects, whether it be the likes of Matthew Robertson asks and um, potentially even Zach Jones or someone just under his level to get a centerman that is a, maybe doesn't have the status of being top six, but could be a solid top nine. You know, they can get creative with that, but yeah, yeah. it's definitely a great question. I, I agree with that, Johnny. Yeah. And, and the one team I always come back to when I, when I discuss these hypotheticals is the LA Kings. They have amazing depth at center with young guys like, um, of course, Byfield who won't be available, but they have Villardi, um, they have Madden, uh, they have Turcotte, they have Rasmus Kupari who played with Capo Caco. At, they, have, at, they have endless center depth. At different uh, age groups for the national team. Kupari is, is an interesting one for me. Um, uh, a Matthew Robertson for Rasmus Kupari trade I could see. Um, yeah, there's another center that that um, they have. I, I cannot. I'm, I'm blanking on his name now. But LA Kings are probably the team to. Uh, uh, oh, Anderson Dolan. I think that's the one. The LA Kings yeah. have a plethora of depth at center, similar to our plethora of depth at defense. Even so, Kill Thomas, right? Akil Thomas, that's another one. Yeah. You see, we can go on and on and on and on. And the Rangers have Nils Lundqvist, Braden Schneider, uh, Keandre Miller, Zach Jones, Matthew Robertson, Hunter Skinner. Uh, it goes on and on and on and on. So there's definitely a win-win trade potentially there. I don't know if they're going there, but that would be that would be my uh, target to to get a young center for this team. Absolutely. Uh, so on Laughing Years for production. Um, in his last 25 games of the season, he had 13 points. In his last 12, he had eight. Yep. Just to illustrate that as the season progressed, Lafreniere got more and more comfortable and started to contributing more and more and more. And I think one final tip to give about Lafreniere before we get on to more questions, guys, is when he first came with the Rangers, the first 10, 15 games, wasn't playing on much points, as we know. It was actually on a historic pace with a lack of point production. Uh, it was not looking good even though he looks fine out there. But uh, this is where you can maybe attest David Quinn's uh, style and having some of a negative effect on a guy like Lafreniere. Because one thing that I've noticed with Quinn in his development or lack thereof with trying to approach this team is 
really trying to make everyone unison. There's a conformist mentality that came with David Quinn and kind of making them stray away from what they're commonly known for, what they have been at this point. Alexi Lafreniere wasn't the consensus number one overall pick really since he was a kid without a reason. You know, he has his own unique play style. And Capo Caco, same thing in his rookie year. And David Quinn even attested that after a while saying that we need to let Capo play his own game, which was yeah. clear that that was something that the Rangers were not allowing him to do to the same and, extent prior. And that where you saw the lack of offensive production. So you'd have to think that under Golan as well, you're going to have Laffey really get comfortable being his own and show exactly why he has been this coveted prospect for so long. Yeah, let's also not forget that how the Rangers season started. Zibanejad was recovering from COVID-19. His first 15, 20 games were terrible. Then you had the locker room fight between D'Angelo and Georgiev. Then you had the Russian reporter who, who went after Panarin. Oh, the my God, yeah. Months, the first two months for the Rangers were terrible. Horrendous. Teams, this, this many incidents usually don't hit a team in a five-year span, and we had it in two months. So... If we can go a full season without this, without these distractions, it's going to be huge for a kid like uh, Alexi Lafreniere. Absolutely. So now getting on to uh, more questions here. Uh, Platt, I'm glad he brought this up, Stephen, so I don't have to, I don't have to uh, show to you first because we were talking about it before this. Is What are your thoughts on acquiring Dvorak from the Coyotes instead of Eichel? Would it make it a lot easier to re-sign Zbanejad and all the kids? Obviously, he's not on the level of Eichel. I'm not against Christian Dvorak at all, but at the same time, I've personally, for me, and if you're asking for my personal opinion, I felt the Rangers have been pretty much Eichel or bust this offseason. Outside of Philip Deneau, who was a free agent that had made plenty of sense for them, he ended up signing a massive deal with the LA Kings, as we know. Dvorak, sensible, but Jack Eichel is just one of those that you're obviously going to seek out that opportunity because the, an opportunity to get a top-line center who's still in the prime of his career, assumably, given his injury, at a young age still, those don't come available often. And the Rangers have been connected with him for a while. So I think it's Eichel or Bust when it comes to addressing center for the Rangers this year. But I could, of course, could, I could uh, be wrong. So, Steven, what's your quick thoughts on that? Yeah. Is Dvorak better than Hedl? Probably. Yeah. Is it worth the assets to make that upgrade for your third-line center? I don't know. Is he better than Strome? Not at the moment. And... We hit lightning in a bottle with the Strom Panarin uh, chemistry and combination. What are the odds it's going to happen again? What are the odds that another center we bring in is going to play this well with Octavio Panarin? And be, and I know people are saying, yeah, but Panarin is is like one of the best wingers in the league. Yes, true, but let's not forget that even Panarin put up career highs, career records in goals, assists, and points while playing fewer games than in any of his previous seasons. So it works both ways with those two. I, I'm not against acquiring Dvorak, depending on the price. Um, but when I look at targets, I, I tend to look at, uh, I tend to have the, the opposite approach. Uh, a lot of people go, oh, I want this player on my team. Let's see how we can make it work. And you get into these hypothetical trade proposals. I usually go like, okay, let's say we want to offload Chris Kreider. Where would he be a good fit? Dallas, Vegas, Boston. Um, I think Boston would be a good fit for Ryan Strong with David Krejci retiring. But anyway, 
Chris Kreider to uh, to Dallas in a trade where you might acquire someone like Rupa Hintz, or you trade him to the Vegas Golden Knights and you acquire someone like Peyton Crutch for the future. Of course, other picks should be involved would be involved, but that's usually how I would approach these kind of scenarios and thought bubbles. Um, Krejci retires. Maybe the Boston Brewers want to extend their window so you could trade them Ryan Strom and you can get a really good center prospect from them in John, John Beecher, uh, maybe a first-round pick. Not that I would necessarily make that trade, but that's to me that that is a lot more sensible than looking at teams and go, ooh, yeah, I would like this. Nothing against people that, you know, want Dvorak on our team. I'm just saying that that's not the way I usually approach these things. Um, but we'll see. Well, we, we never know what's going to happen. Nobody in 2016 thought Zibanejad was going to be available. So who knows? Maybe they'll, they'll, they'll come on a left field with a trade for a guy that none of us have even thought about. Yep. Yeah, and again, there's always that possibility. Who knows? All, all I will say is if it happens, it's probably a Monday. So always have those notifications on on a Monday, if anything, for the Rangers. They've been doing yeah. that for quite a while now. But I see a $5 donation here from Brody. Thank you so much, Brody. He's been a great supporter here on the channel. And for Rangers Review, the podcast, no question, you guys always cover everything well. Just want to thank you and Stephen for entertaining us and hope you have a great summer. Uh, have been doing well this summer. Thank you so much, Brody. I hope the same for you, my friend. Cheers. That means a lot, buddy. I know you've been supporting here for a while now, so I really do appreciate that. Uh, let's see. Um, how would I uh, see question from David, um, says, how would uh, you grade GM Chris Drury's draft selection? I feel he made a lot of rookie mistakes and not as well as former uh, GM Jeff Gordon made. I do think that there were aspects to the draft that did not necessarily favor the Rangers this year. Like they have in years prior outside the obvious, not having a top three pick. Cause that made that really wins your draft for the most part. Um, but yes, I do think that Drury will continue to get better with the draft. He's made some recent hires as well that we did not even discuss, including um, Stephen. Would you actually like to address that? Because that'll help the Rangers going forward when it comes to young development. Uh, originally from the Toronto Maple Leafs, I'm just blanking on the young man's name. Do you recall? Does that happen last week? Lily. John. Yeah. Lilly. Yeah. 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 So. Drury's going to continue to build his team when it comes to scouting and developing young talent as well. So the draft, I don't think was fantastic for the Rangers by any means, but I don't think it was terrible either. I think it was more so along the lines of what we kind of first saw in the beginning of this rebuild, because when we look at year one for the Rangers draft with Leah Sanderson, that didn't work. Heedle was a smart pick. Um, but, you know, I, again, nothing flashy. Uh, wasn't the best draft, but I wouldn't say it was the worst either. I, it could have been better maybe in certain aspects, but this was also a year where I will give the exception, giving Drury just coming in the reins as GM, having to prepare everything in a short period of time, and also it being the pandemic year where you're having guys that were so much more difficult to scout because, one, your scouts can't even be in attendance everywhere, and, two, you're having players that simply didn't play. So those are factors you, of course, have to weigh in your decision-making. Yeah, uh, let's let's take it year by year quickly. The 2017 draft, you, you draft seventh overall, Elias Anderson, who didn't work out. You get a second round pick in return that you use for Will Cooley. Philip Needle, 21st overall, and then Morgan Barron in, I think, the sixth round, if I remember correctly. Um, if you get Heedle and, Bar and Barron out of that draft, I consider that a good draft. If you get two roster players, 
without having an actual top pick. Because 2017, the drop-off was clearly at number five with Peterson. Um, if the Rangers have a top five pick, they get Elias Peterson. We're not having this conversation. 2018, you go into the draft with three first-round picks. That's huge. That's huge. Uh, you go into the draft with two second-round picks. One of those was used as ammo to trade up for Keandre Miller. You get Kravtsov, Miller, and Lundqvist. It's really hard not to love that draft, but you make it a little bit easier by having three picks on day one. And then you get a kid like Glory Payuniemi, who was a really good pick in 20, uh, 2018, in my opinion. Uh, the rest of the players, it's still too early to say. Um, uh, Simon Schelberg and Riley Hughes, who knows? Uh, 2019, you win the lottery, you get a second overall pick. Great. But the 2019 draft is probably my favorite so far because yeah. we didn't have another first-round pick. But in the second round, you get Henriksen and Robertson. In the third round, you get Zach Jones. In the sixth round, you get Adam Ekstrom. And in the seventh round, Eric Ciccolini, which were all good picks on the day. The Hunter Skinner pick in the fourth round was heavily criticized, but even he turned it around. So 2019 is probably the, 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 the highlight of a rebuild when it comes to drafting. And then 2020 with Lafreniere, great. Schneider, perfect pick, um, even though we all wanted a center. But Schneider, a year later, looks like a really good pick at 19th overall. The rest is still too early to call. So you, you get to 2020 where you talk about trading away your first-round pick. You already traded away your second-round pick for Mark Stahl. So you, you, you don't go into the draft with the same expectations. At least you shouldn't. You shouldn't be going into the draft with the same expectations. Um, I really like the Brennan Othman pick. I know I'm in the minority with that, but I think the kid is a future Kreider replacement in 2024. Uh, his timeline to replace Kreider lines up perfectly with his no-move clause expiring. Um, didn't have a pick in the second round. Third round, uh, you get guys like Gruby and, and Korzak. Korzak I like. Um, Gruby, I don't know too much about because he missed most of the season with an ACL tear. And then once you get to the fourth round and beyond, it's really difficult to, to value those picks right now. Last year with Veerling and Berard in the fifth round, we struck gold, in my opinion. This year, we simply don't know yet. But this... 2021 was never going to be a draft to define our rebuild. Our rebuild was already defined with Lafreniere and Kako. Um, I think the draft, I would give it a C plus or maybe a B minus. It's not terrible. Um, they didn't knock it out of the park either. They could have done better, but they definitely did not shift the bet. Yeah. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I want to say uh, thank you so much, uh, Gruntilda, I believe, with the $1 donation. That means a lot. And with saying that, though, Stephen, that is going to wrap up our Q&A segment here of Rangers Review, episode 28. So thank you all so much to everyone that chimed in this stream live. Or if you're on replay here on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts, it should be coming out um, either later today at the time of being live at August 10th or at the very latest tomorrow, August 11th. Uh, wherever you get your podcast. So again, thank you all so much. I really, really appreciate you all. Love these discussions. Next week, we'll see what the future holds for the Rangers. If anything drastically changed or not, no less uh, plenty of things to be excited about as we are getting uh, closer and closer to the conclusion of this Rangers offseason. And Stephen, uh, my friend, uh, let's go Rangers. Let's go Rangers. <laughs>